Welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Onion Radio News, Earthbeat Radio, Ring of Fire, a town hall meeting with Al Gore, and the Young Turks. Blackwater Security is contracted to protect the U.S. climate. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. The Environmental Protection Agency awarded a no-bid contract today to Blackwater USA in a move to better protect the American climate. Blackwater, a controversial private security firm that has taken on numerous high-risk assignments in Iraq, says it's up to the task. EPA spokesman Marvin Stackler agrees. Blackwater has sent... Uh, small teams to shut down holes in the ozone layer where dangerous UV rays were able to sneak in. Blackwater came under fire last year when several of its employees were accused of gang-raping a giant sequoia they had been hired to protect. Doyle Redland for The Onion Radio News. All your life You were only waiting for this moment to Our first item this week, of course, got some coverage in the mainstream media, and it's President Bush's call to lift the oil drilling ban on the coastal areas of the United States that have been closed for almost 30 years. Dave? Bobby, well, this is, you're right. It was covered somewhat by the mainstream media, but what they missed was the fact that Bush's own energy department a year ago had said that this does absolutely no good. This was done in order to pander to the American people, to help John McCain with his presidential campaign, the idea that it will somehow lower prices at the pump. And Bush's own energy department said that we wouldn't see results from something like this until the earliest 2012, and really, frankly, not till as long as 2030 from opening these areas. This well, you is know, one, blue one smoke the, and mirrors. One of the, the things people miss is that this oil, we don't even know if it'll come to the United States. They say, well, you know, it will help the United States somehow. But, for example, the Alaskan oil is not shipped to the United States. Most of it ends up being shipped to Asia. So it enriches the company, but it doesn't lower the price of oil in our country. It simply goes into the global pool of oil. And if to the extent that it adds to the global oil supply and reduces the cost... Well, the Saudis and the other Persian Gulf nations who control 60% of the oil in the world, if they want to lower the cost or increase the cost to compensate for this additional oil, they can do so. Exactly. So there's no guarantee that this is going to do anything in terms of lowering the cost. And all it does, the, you know, the ironic thing here, Dave, is that President Bush has said in his last seven State of the Union addresses that we are addicted to oil that we need to find an alternative, and the only alternative that they've come up with is to get more oil. 
Well, that's like saying to an addict, you know, this, the cure for your addiction is, is more, more drugs. More drugs. More yes, drugs. exactly. No, it's right. it, and it's a great solution, really, if you think about it. It, it is the cure. You, well, you know, me, we're we're going to give you enough to kill yourself. Right. Meanwhile, this is the, the, the administration that's done everything in its power to get us to use more oil, putting a $100,000 tax deduction on Hummers and taking away the tax deduction on Priuses and hybrid cars and fuel-efficient cars giving $100,000 tax deductions to the 16 least efficient automobiles on the road in order to encourage Americans to buy them. Um, this is a, uh, you know, this is a, it's a, it's an administration that's operating uh, for the, for the good of, not for the American public, but for the oil industry. And even my cousin, Arnold Schwarzenegger, one of the great new heroes of the environment. Speaking of hum politics. speaking of Hummers, who who yeah. made them famous, but has now also made conservation famous. Well, well, his own Hummer is powered by hydrogen. So let's point that out. Exactly. But he he said this week in an interview with ABC Sunday that Bush had completely missed the boat on global warming. That it's the most important issue. And that um, he said Bush was confused and deluded because he's still pretending that global warming doesn't exist. And he actually attributed the wildfires that they're now fighting in California to global warming, saying nothing like this has ever happened before. Okay, now here is a connected story. And this is the story that should have been the front page banner headline on every newspaper in this country and the lead story in every new show in this country, and yet it was absolutely ignored by the American press. The Antarctic Ice Shelf, the, the, uh, a, the, one of the largest pieces of the Antarctic Ice Shelf that is left, it's the size of Northern Ireland, and it is about to fall into the ocean. The European Space Agency says new satellite pictures show that the Wilkins Ice Shelf, the largest to be threatened so far, is hanging by a last, its last thread, a tiny, thin ice bridge. The disturbing thing about this is they didn't think that this would fall into the ocean for another century, but it is about to fall into the ocean now, and the worst part is it's the middle of winter, and they are stunned that the melting is continuing to occur during the middle of Antarctic winter, and the only explanation is that the water at the Antarctic, the seawater, is so warm that it is lapping and melting the Antarctic ice sheet from below. And this is real problems because if the, if the West Antarctic ice sheet, which is the next one to melt, sea levels across the globe will, will raise about 12 feet and Manhattan will be underwater. Bobby, isn't this exactly what Al Gore uh, demonstrated an inconvenient truth that this should this happen, and he pointed to the Antarctic well, shelf said, and Greenland, right? Right, and he said, but he said that this, you know, that the estimates at that time, which were which were poo pooed and derided by the American right and by Exxon Corporation, by the Bush administration, he said that this might happen a century from now. Well, now they're talking about it happening this winter, and it's not even during the summertime. It's during the winter, so this is a real catastrophe. These are this is you know this is literally the apocalypse that we're looking at, and it's completely uncovered by the American press, who is just who's arguing about whether or not Obama wears a flag pin. That's the focus of the American press, and in Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan. Well, on a slightly positive note, this week, even though it didn't get the attention it deserved, in his speech on Iraq, uh, Barack Obama called also for an energy policy as part of national security that would reduce 
emissions by 2050 by 80%. And of course, Al Gore gave his major speech in Washington uh, calling for a comprehensive new bold energy uh, policy. Hopefully both of those things are going to interject that into this campaign in ways that they weren't in 2004 or 2000. Sometimes when this place gets kind of empty Sound of the breath fades with the light I think about the loveless fascination Under the Milky Way tonight Lower the curtain down when I was in Jordan, um, um, I didn't speak Arabic, and I uh, ventured out one day without my translator. Uh, on the day I ventured out, something happened, and it was really, really bad, and people were running, and they were trying to explain to me that there was something that was going on, because I didn't speak Arabic, I didn't know what was going on, but I could just tell by their faces and their emotions that something was wrong, but I was paralyzed. This is the climate movement that they're trying to tell people that something as bad is happening but they're not translating it right. to the have not. So people can tell that something is wrong. People can tell that there are problems, but the need for translating, not only to translate the problem, but then to then equip them to then solve the problem. We are now moving. I want to say this. That I love the Green for All campaign because the difference between the 20th century was that it had to be revolutionary. The, po the promise of the Green for All campaign, that it, it moves from being just revolutionary to being solution. It just says we have a solution, and not only do we see a problem, but then we can also solve the problem as well. Van, I'd, I'd like to bring you into this discussion. How do you work on translating this problem, as Rev has said, for for communities of color who, who may feel that, you know, this, this really isn't their issue. They've got much more pressing issues uh, than climate change. Well, you know, uh, you know, as, as Reverend Yearwood has pointed out and, and done so, you know, so eloquently, uh, translation has to be done. Uh, one of the things that we understand is that when you tell people who have privilege and who have opportunity that there's a major crisis coming, they they jump into action. So, you know, you tell you know the privileged elite, uh, you know, your your second home will be underwater because of global warming. Uh, they can jump into action because they, 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 you know, when they hear about a crisis, people who have already have opportunity, they respond. But when you tell people who already live in crisis every day, who don't have a home, or who don't have a good home, who don't have a job, about yet another crisis, uh, they don't move into action. They, they, is, again, they get paralyzed or they just get depressed or they just say, well, it just must be God's will. It must, must be the, the end days. When you're talking to people who live in crisis, you have to tell them about the opportunity. When you talk to people who have opportunity, you tell them about the crisis. But when you're talking to people who live in crisis, you tell them about the opportunity. Huh. And it's not just that we need equal protection from the bad stuff that's coming, though Dr. King would point out that we do need uh, uh, equal protection at all times. It's also that we need equal opportunity and equal access to the good things that are coming in the ecological age. Again, millions and millions of new jobs. Uh, that's the good news. That's a part of the solution. Um, new investment. We're going to have to completely rewire, reboot, and re-energize America to use clean energy and to use the energy that we do have more efficiently. That's new contracts, new entrepreneurial opportunities, new opportunities to, to, to bring wealth and health and dignity into the neighborhood. That is how you begin to translate 
uh, to a very, very different constituency, that this is something that if we do get involved in, it's not just going to be more misery and more woe and another thing to worry about. Yes, there is peril, but there is also great promise if we move together. Well, I woke up in mid-afternoon, because that's when it all hurts the most. A dream I never know anyone at the party, and I'm always the host. If dreams are like movies, then memories are films about I live in West Virginia, and I'm very concerned about what's going on with mountaintop removal, as well as everybody's belief that coal to liquid technology is the solution to problems just for West Virginia and many other of the states like that, and I'd like to hear what you think about that. Mountaintop mining is an atrocity. It is an outrage. And my wife, Tipper, and I give out an award at the Nashville Film Festival every year for best documentary on these environmental issues, and this year's winner was called Mountaintop Mining, and, and I learned more about it from that movie. It, 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 what they do is, you, you all know, they just chop off the... And then they dump the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the detritus, the rock, and the, and the dirt into the creeks, and it just poisons the whole ecosystem. It is part and parcel of the same dysfunctional uh, energy system that is causing global warming. It, it, is, it is also facilitated by the same moral blindness to the consequences of what we're doing. And by the way, it's all done in an automated way. That's why the coal miners lost all their jobs. And when we make this transition to renewable fuels, we have to keep them in mind. We ought to guarantee a good job in the fresh air and sunshine for every single coal miner who has been affected by the transition over to renewable fuels. One final point. The idea of turning coal into liquid fuels for our cars is it, it's insane. And here's why. Here's why. It is true that if you looked only at the dependence of the United States on, on foreign oil, and if you didn't care about anything else in the world, it would be theoretically possible at huge expense to squeeze uh, liquid out of coal and put it into uh, gas tanks. It would be enormously expensive. Uh, but the other problem is it would vastly increase the amount of CO2 from each gallon of fuel that's burned. So we got to walk and chew gum at the same time. We've got to end our dependence on foreign oil and save the habitability of the planet by, re by switching not just from oil to coal liquid, but from fossil fuels to renewable energy. Looking down at the valleys below Looking south to the mountains Emerald majesty I see the Clinch River flow Then I turn my head To the northeast and west I just can't believe my eyes Oh Lord have mercy on the Appalachian people Please hear our cries Stop! Down, all for the 
rich man's crown, but it keeps on tearing the mountain down. Uh, Mike is the founder and director of the Chesapeake Climate Action Network, probably what he calls CCAN when he's uh, around the office. And he's the author of the book, The Ravaging Tide, Strange Weather, Future Katrinas, and the Coming Death of America's Coastal Cities. Not a book you know, I would imagine, Mike, that people are going to pick up and say, ah, oh, this is going to be an optimistic, fun ride. Uh, perhaps not. I mean, the publisher, uh, uh, Free Press, came up with the title, uh, and uh, it's, it's a bit dramatic. But, but the reality is it, it is a book about global warming and Katrina and, and, the, and the looming threat from sea level rise and bigger hurricanes spawned by climate change. However, the book ends on a very um, uh, optimistic note in that it spells out uh, the, the, the plain fact that the solution to global warming is very, very obtainable converting to clean energy uh, in highly energy-efficient cars, et cetera, et cetera, is something that's eminently doable in America. Whether we decide to do it in time is the open question. No, and it's a serious book, obviously, and and, uh, and it's something that people should uh, be paying a lot more attention to. So as ominous as the title may be, it's something that you should pick up and look at <clears throat> because of its seriousness and the fact that it will affect each and every one of us in some way. Well, Mike, I, I want to... You know, talk about what you've predicted in the past as uh, setting up your new predictions. Because your new predictions are, <laughs> I mean, they're if they come true, we're all in a heap of trouble here. So, but in your uh, 2004 book, The Bayou Farewell, The Rich Life and Tragic Death of Louisiana's Cajun Coast, uh, you're semi-famous for predicting uh, a storm like Hurricane Katrina devastating New Orleans. What exactly did you say before Hurricane Katrina came? Well, the book, um, first of all, I want to thank you guys for having me on your show. I'm a big fan and have been for a while, and I, I just really enjoy the, the, the energy that you got and the, and, the, and the smarts that you guys bring to a lot of uh, issues that I care about. So, number one, thanks for having me. Um, you, you could have stopped the, the at book. energy, by the way, the energy we bring. <laughs> thanks, um, Mike. The, the book was called By You Farewell. It actually came out in hardcover in 2003. And yes, it, it's, it's 300, it's a 300 page book that basically says from beginning to end, Katrina is coming. Uh, we didn't know what to call her before she arrived, but uh, going back to the late 90s as a freelance print journalist uh, for the Washington Post and other publications, um, I, I just stumbled on the story of catastrophic land loss along the Louisiana coast and the fact that the levees were uh, suspect and that a massive hurricane uh, was predicted by various conservationists and government agencies down there. And, and the shrimpers and fishing, fishing people themselves who had seen the wetlands disappear because human beings had changed the hydrology of the lower Mississippi River triggering this massive loss of wetlands in Barrier Islands. A million acres of wetlands disappeared in South Louisiana just since World War II. So imagine an area of land about the size of Delaware being erased, literally turning to water between the city of New Orleans and the Gulf of Mexico. We basically, through human activity in the 20th century, created this watery flight path for Katrina to slam into New Orleans like a plane into the World Trade Center. And, and it was obvious to anyone who was paying even, you know, mildly paying attention that this was going to happen. So I wrote this book in 2003 saying Katrina's coming, 
And, you know, those of us who write about the environment, and I don't consider myself an environmentalist. I'm a, I'm a print journalist who's now totally freaked out by global warming and now have formed an organization to fight it. So I'm really just a citizen activist. But those of us who write about nature and the quote-unquote environmentalists are regularly accused of being chicken littles. You say the sky's falling. It never falls. You guys have no credibility. Well, in 2003, I and a few others were saying the sky's going to fall in South Louisiana. Uh, but then to live and watch it happen, it really felt was just a horrifying experience. Mike Tidwell, uh, I have a question for you. You know what? What from where you're sitting? I mean, you've written something that was essentially, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to say that it was ignored, but I don't know how we, we would have prepared for the ravages that you predicted. And now you're, you know, now you're talking about what we can learn from from Katrina. What what do we do? How do we, as a you know, as a society, as you know, as small as America, just for starters, um, address the problem? Uh, in, the problem dealing with the fact that we've ignored these warnings, and now Katrina has happened, and to a certain degree, I have to say, it feels like we're ignoring the fact that it did happen. Uh, what can we do as a society to address that? Well, it's it's a great question, and the the problem really is that we human beings uh, are not evolved to deal with long term threats. I mean, we we are, you know, our evolution uh, uh, on the you know the plains of Africa uh, made us uh, respond most um, fervently only to claws and fangs in our face. Um, you know, we we have the fight or flight impulse. So if there's if there's a direct threat in front of us, um, we tend to respond pretty well. If it's immediate and, and white hot, we're all over it. Right. But if it's long term, if it's over the horizon, uh, we have a you know we ha- we have a poor record of planning for crises that are <clears throat> that unfold more slowly. That the advantage that we have now as modern human beings is we can see the history of past civilizations who've destroyed themselves, who've committed suicide because they have not planned for long-term threats. Um, they, these past societies, like the Easter Island civilization that, that destroyed the ecological base and therefore committed group suicide, the Greenland Vikings who did the same, the Mayans in Central America, they, they didn't have, they didn't know, you know, the Mayans didn't know about the Easter Islanders. The Greenland Vikings didn't know about the Mayans. Well, we know about all of them, and we understand that we have to plan for long-term threats of global warming. We have to plan for the long-term threats in South Louisiana <clears throat> from wetlands loss and hurricane strikes. Um, but we're still not doing a very good job of it. So uh, there, there are many of us who, who, who tried to raise awareness about Katrina before and after that storm who, on our, on our bad days, get discouraged. And there are many of us in the climate movement who get discouraged. But I still believe, I still believe, in, especially in terms of climate change, that, one, it is possible to slow this climate change down and ultimately stop it. We do have the means to do it. And what encourages me in the face of still very, very slow action on this is that when we make up our mind to change, there, there's a long history of, 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 of Americans and, and other people around the world changing very quickly. The fall of the Iron Curtain, our mobilization during World War II, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we're going to change, and we're going to change very quickly. But please, let it happen soon, God. <laughs> we're talking to Mike Tidwell. He's uh, runs the Chesapeake Climate Action Network. He's also the author of The Ravaging Tide. So, uh, Mike, what I'm hearing from you is you're saying we're coming, we came from Africa. I, listen, I'm an American, so I, I don't understand what you're saying in that regard. Uh, and you're saying a lot of questionable things about how, uh, you know, 
Like, we'd have disasters here in America. We're prepared, man. So uh, I'm not quite getting it. Uh, so uh, clarify w- what you're saying in terms of what's coming up next. Let's have some fun here. Uh, New York and Florida, what's happening to them? You sound, first well, of all, you sound like an alarmist to me, like Richard Clark, that R- Richard Clark guy at 9-11 was a total alarmist. Oh, yeah, yeah, Al-Qaeda's coming, please. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, well, the, the reality is, um, Amer- let, let's just talk about climate change for a moment. I mean, the, the reality is people are seeing it wherever they live. It, it's not a maybe sort of kind of thing that computer models predict 100 years from now. It's here. I mean, global warming is seriously unpacking its bags, and, and everybody who pauses long enough to look around has to acknowledge it. For example, you know, we all know that sea level rise is happening all over the world, and that's because landlocked ice is melting. Everything frozen on the planet is melting, and the landlocked versions of that ice are causing, are flowing into the oceans, causing the oceans to rise. So sea levels are rising all over the world. But the Great Lakes, I don't know if you guys saw the story in the New York Times last week. The Great Lakes are dropping in water level, and the reason they're dropping in water level is because the lakes spend less time every year frozen and more time with a liquid surface, which means more year-round evaporation, which means the water levels are dropping. For example, Lake Michigan, this is astounding. New York Times last week said that one-third, one-third of the boat ramps in Lake Michigan right now are unusable. One-third, because the water levels are dropping Mike. related to global warming. So, so these, Mike, these hey, let's impacts go, are happening everywhere. Mike, let's call it a wash, man. So the water's rising somewhere, uh, dropping in other places. We had a global warming uh, denier on the show, and he said, look, you're going to get much better vacation property in Canada. <laughs> uh, he's being dead serious. Well, you know, I mean, the reality is that, that those who deny or say it's good for us or whatever are utterly ridiculous, and, and even, even the... The less-than-stellar U.S. mass media has begun to ignore, for the most part, those who say, you know, the the planet is flat in terms right. of global warming. Uh, so there's no, I, I, I personally have no interest in, in responding to ridiculous claims by deniers. The reality is people are seeing it where they live. They see the quirky weather. They see everywhere in the world it's too hot, too warm, too dry, too cold, period. But, okay, but, um, but, and, Mike, I, I, you're absolutely right, I'm not, and I'm not challenging this at all my biggest problem with it is is the problem itself obviously is huge but why is it that we you know that we can get americans scared when they see a mexican in their neighborhood and immigration becomes such a, a fierce issue yeah. but when the sky is seen a mexican? When, when the sky is falling we cannot mobilize americans that, that I'm, that's why why i'm asking you these questions you know I, with, with great respect to the work you're doing and 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 the and clearly i mean that your prediction of katrina essentially is is remarkable now, how do we get people to hear what you're saying and care about it enough? That's that's the, if or, or is a, it happening? And I, am I wrong? You know, if only a former prominent politician would make a movie or something. Yeah. Do you think that would help, Mike? It might help. Somebody should think of that. Um, yeah. Listen, you guys are posing the question that I grapple with every day as a writer and as an organizer. Here's the thing. I mean, again, it's a matter of overcoming some sort of deeply embedded DNA response, and that is we tend not to plan well for long-term crisis. Now, you mentioned why is it we can get all worked up about a Mexican in our neighborhood. You know, we, we again, we're, we are evolved. I had a guy in Gris. I do a radio show in Washington, D.C., and I had a writer from Gris Magazine who was, who was looking at some of the sociological studies of 
fight or flight uh, responses. And he said, you know, we tend to respond to, in terms of danger, to faces of humans or other animals and motion. If things are moving in front of us and it has a face, then we're like, holy cow, that's danger. Um, and, what about and a Category so, 5 hurricane that decimates uh, the southern part of America? Well, it's, I mean, well, I mean well, compared to a Muslim, it's, uh, yeah, you know, not, not as quite as H. Look, Mike, uh, we're running out of time here, but I really want to ask you, i got to ask you this. So do you really think Florida, the, the Florida coast and the New York uh, parts of Manhattan are going to get flooded? Do you, act, do you really believe that? Well, it's not a matter of I believe it. It's what the, the, the scientists are saying are going to happen. I mean, if we get three feet of sea level rise, uh, Miami, if you're going to work and live in Miami, you're going to work and live behind levees. Hurricanes are also getting bigger. So Miami starts to look a lot like another city called New Orleans. Same with lower Manhattan. Sea level is rising, period. When? And we all... All along our coastlines, we're going to be behind levees facing bigger storms. The answer is hybrid cars, improved energy efficiency, wind power, all these things. We don't have to invent any technology. It's all here. We don't need a Manhattan project. We don't well, need a magic bullet. Mike, 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 Mike Jenk just asked a very good question. He said, when? Like, what, what is this? That, like, when do you, you know, Venice has been sinking for a, a thousand years. What, when, when is, when would you envision these problems? I know they're accelerated now, but, but, you know, you did predict Katrina and, and, when would you predict these kind of problems to affect cities like Miami and New York? Well, it's already affecting places. I mean, I live in the Chesapeake Bay area where we're losing, you know, enormous amounts of wetlands and, and eroded shorelines right now connected to, to sea level rise. But serious, serious sea level rise, it, it's, it's not clear. It's, it's, it is clear that if we don't stabilize the climate very, very soon, we're going to see several feet by 2100. However, in the past, because of these various climate feedback loops that tend to accelerate changes in climate. In the past, we have gotten 10 degrees of warming in 10 years. We have gotten five feet of sea level rise per decade. Um, if, if the climate truly snaps violently the way it has twice in the last 20,000 years, um, you know, it could truly be catastrophic. Let's not go there. Let's not think about that too much. Let's think about how we're going to stop it. And, 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 and you can learn more about how to do that at uh, climateemergency.org. There's also a great um, um, podcast, worldonfirepodcast.com, if you're really interested in this issue. Um, every two weeks you can learn more. Actually, it's worldonfirepodcast.org. Um, but, look, the solution's there. The threats are coming. We've got to act soon. And I think Katrina was the curtain raiser. I mean, she showed us what could happen. And if we want to avoid future Katrinas, Ritas, and Wilmas, we have to get going. All right, bottom line it for me. Uh, if I get rich, one of my plans is to buy a, a condo in Miami Beach. Are you saying don't buy it? Bad choice. A third of all hurricanes that strike the United States pass through Florida. Uh, I mean, I, sure, buy a condo in Miami as long as you donate an equal amount of money to my organization so that we can stabilize the climate. And I, you know, sort of hedge your bet. <laughs> That's a way of hedging my bet, I guess. Yeah, I suppose so. All right, Mike Tidwell is, of course, from uh, Chesapeake Climate Action Network, and his new book is The Ravaging Tide. Mike, thanks so much for joining us on The Young Turks. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem. And everybody check out that uh, podcast, of course, worldonfirepodcast.org.
Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, just in case you were interested, as you heard uh, right there at the end of the show, Jank mentioned a, uh, a great, fantastic podcast called the World on Fire Podcast. If you want to check that out, uh, please do. Uh, fully endorsed by the Best of the Left podcast. Um, you, just, you can find it at worldonfirepodcast.org or in the iTunes Music Store. Uh, easy to search and find it. Uh, the interesting thing about that is if you if you searched it out and uh, and listened to you know let's just say the the most recent show, you might find that it is um, how uh, how shall we say ninety nine percent identical to the episode you just listened to. Uh, the reason for that is that I run both podcasts. The World on Fire podcast is the project that I do actually for my organization, Global Warming Nonprofit Organization that I work for in Washington, D.C. And um, so maybe you're thinking to yourself that I've been slacking off at work by taking material from the best of the left, like I might gather uh, as, as part of this hobby of mine, um, and then just use it for work purposes and, uh, and rip, rip them off. Uh, of course, it's actually the opposite. I, I'm actually <laughs> uh, part of my job is to run that podcast because uh, the boss likes it and and likes the idea of the Best of Left podcast, and so we created one just like it, but only focused on global warming, and uh, you know because that's what we're all about. So, uh, so yeah, I'm I'm in the happy position to get to spend some work time developing the World on Fire podcast, and then get to kind of steal a little bit of my own work and and use it for this as well so all of you can hear it and uh and we all have fun uh the added benefit though you know all jokes aside obviously you don't need to subscribe to two different podcasts that are identical and uh and so since every all the uh all the news shows like the one you just listened to they go into world on fire also go into the best of the left feed you don't need both but if you want to check out the World on Fire podcast, you do get some bonus videos that I make, and that's uh, it's all about our global warming campaigns in the uh, Maryland, D.C., and Virginia region, and uh, and so we do rallies and, and inspirational videos and news and just different little five-minute documentaries that I film and edit and put together and, and do all the work for that, so... In case you're interested in checking out a little bit more of my work, uh, that's where you can find it. All right, an update from last week. Uh, I mentioned about the podcast awards, and they will be coming up on September 15th. A nomination process starts on uh, September 15th and goes uh, for about a week or so, uh, maybe two, I'm not sure. But uh, anytime during that process, you can just go to podcastawards.com and submit the Best of Left podcast in the news and politics category. Uh, it would be greatly appreciated. And uh, and so you just submit the name of the show, the uh, RSS feed, uh, your name, email address, and then don't forget to leave a comment about the show. You know, tell them why you're nominating the show and, and how much you like it, um, things like that. And then, you know, the easy thing is once you've nominated the show for a podcast award and, and left a great comment as well then uh, then you can just copy that comment and, and paste that right into the iTunes Music Store comment section as well and give us five stars but as far as the uh, podcast awards goes 
it would be great to be nominated again. Uh, we were nominated, I think, two years ago. Yeah, no, I don't think. I know it was. It was two years ago. Uh, we were nominated, and uh, and I mentioned it's great publicity for the show. But not only that, uh, it turned out that being nominated two years ago was a huge turning point for this show. We didn't know it at the time, but later found out that our absolute uh, head and shoulders above the rest, number one supporter of the show, Billy from Oregon, uh, who's you know he who now runs the website and was the guest producer for ten months uh, recently and has just you know been a you know crazy uh, unbelievable uh, supporter of the show. I don't mean he's crazy. I meant uh, you know he's been a, a crazy good asset <laughs> to the show. Um, he found us when we were nominated for a podcast award. So you never know what kind of uh, serendipity will. Uh, will take the show to bigger and better heights and uh, and help make it better and, and uh, bigger and better and so forth. So uh, if you could, uh, do what you can. Every little bit helps. Uh, help get us nominated for our podcast award on September 15th. So uh, mark your calendars and believe that I will be reminding you as the days Uh, as the date grows nearer. So that is it for today. My name is Jay, coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the border and conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C. This has been the Best of the Left Podcast, coming to you from bestoftheleftpodcast.com. Thought lines now black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Bitch burning on a shining sheet Oh